Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. Join us today as we learn from God's word in Habakkuk. We pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit about Mother's Day at the end of the message. Just real quickly, if you did not catch last week, it's important. I would encourage you, I'd plead with you to go back and listen to it. We set up a bunch of history over the book of Habakkuk so we could understand kind of the, the, the landscape for which he was speaking to the Lord, the landscape for which he was asking these questions. And we challenged everyone last week and talked about how this, this kind of this burning question, the reason why us pastors wanted to come into this book, this question that kept coming even out of the lips of those who believe in God is how can a good God allow this? Or, or what are you doing, God? How, how in the world does this make sense? When we see the landscape of our life and we look at even the things that we're doing right now where we're so long to be together and we're stuck in, in our homes, we, we can start to kind of fester and wonder, like, what is, what is God doing? How can this be good? How can, how can his will be accomplished in this? And these are the questions that continually come to mind for us. And Habakkuk asked this question. He wrestles with the Lord in such a profound and deep way. Again, like I said last week, if you don't understand where this sets in, where he's kind of, the landscape with which he's speaking, he can come across kind of like an entitled whiny, whiny brat. And so it's very important that we understand the context of what's going on and where he is. And so we're going to dig into Habakkuk. We're going we're gonna to move forward. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to be in the first four verses today. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, the oracle can also be changed to burden, the burden with which the, that Habakkuk had seen. O Lord, verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. These first four verses, this is the first conversation that Habakkuk has with God. This is some serious questions he's asking of him. This is not some simple thing. He's saying, look, the violence, I've, I've cried out violence. This was a, a role that the prophets for God could do. They could proclaim violence and the God who is good could come and rescue them. And he's saying, I've done this over and over and over again. This, this is a wrestling, the prophet's theological understanding of God. Where he's at, seeing what he's doing as, as God being a just and righteous God is not matched with what he's seeing in his landscape. Jehoiakim has taken some of the prophets and he's destroyed them. It's, it, there's violence everywhere. It's, it's out of control. One scholar says it this way. says, the prophet's longstanding concern, which finally erupts in a volcanic complaint, was twofold. First, he wanted to know why God seemed so indifferent. He's asked over and over again, why doesn't God hear? Second, he wanted to know why God seems so insensitive. Why doesn't God help? Habakkuk's words, how long, show his agony over God's seeming delay in responding to the prophet's concerns. Many Christians today sense the same problem. They wonder why God seems silent when they pray. Like several psalmists, Asa, the sons of Korah and David. We see it over and over again. We see people crying to God. This complaint, it's not like the day like Habakkuk woke up and all of a sudden it was hard. This shows that he's saying how long. This is, he's been wrestling with this for some time. A couple things that it's important for us to understand, again, we talked a little bit about this last week, is this first complaint isn't a complaint about them being occupied and the Assyrians or the, 
Chaldeans or those people. This is a complaint about the people of God. We see that because he says, look, the, the law is paralyzed, and we'll get there in a second. So this is, this is Habakkuk complaining about the church. We don't ever do that today, so that, I don't know if that applies. But he's, he's, saying, he's saying, look, I, I wrestle with what's going on. There's widespread oppression. There's, there's injustice, and there's violence. There's no hope except in God, and God did not seem to be taking any action. And that's what Habakkuk is feeling right now. He's saying, look, vindicate your own law. Why aren't you doing something specifically in your own people? It's also important to remember that Habakkuk is seemingly one of the righteous Israelites, one of the righteous children of God that are still following the Lord, and he's, he's complaining about the children of God. Verse 3 says basically this, why do you make me see iniquity? This is a statement that I think the modern-day version is, why do I have to deal with this in my life lifespan? Many of us will have this question, like, why is this now? Why couldn't I have been one of those times where the kings were doing a great job or they were not doing evil in the sight of the Lord? He's like, why are you making me see this? Why am I having to watch this happen? The purpose of a prophet was to see, to see God and to see the people and to communicate between the two. And he's saying, why do I have to see this? These are difficult questions. Habakkuk's saying, why am I experiencing this injustice? Why, why couldn't this have happened after my life? Why aren't you doing something about this? It's bad enough that a, a weak sinner should have to behold wickedness, but to have a righteous God and see the evil and do nothing about it seemed beyond comprehension. And this is what Habakkuk's saying. He's saying, look, I see the iniquity. How can God, who is righteous, see this iniquity and not care? It doesn't make sense. Why would you allow these things? Why would you allow destruction and violence and all these things happening, strife and contention? Why, why are your people doing this? This doesn't make sense. He's had it. He's beyond. And then the biggest plea, the, the most difficult thing he says is in verse 4, where he says your law has become paralyzed. Your law is, is useless. The law was set in place to show the people of God how to live for God. And he's, saying, and he's even saying, look, the law, even though we have it, that's great. We have it. It's the, it's the major force which should hold us in check, but it's paralyzed. That means that the, the law was to the, be the basis of God's order for society, but it no longer functioned in this way. The result is an absence of justice, or rather, a perversion of justice. He's saying, look, God, your, your law isn't even working. It's not even being upheld. The people that, that, that have issues, these strifes and contentions, we're supposed to settle this in the church. We're supposed to settle this as the people of God. But they come, and they're, they're actually experiencing injustice. There's, there's corruptness in this. The wicked here appear to be ungodly, unruly people within Israel itself. And he's saying, look, this doesn't make sense. The, the reverse aspect of Habakkuk's problem, not only does injustice go unchecked, but it forces the righteous, the righteousness to be thwarted. So God is not only not seeing injustice, but he's, his righteousness isn't moving forward. And, and, and Habakkuk just doesn't understand how this can happen, how this can make sense. What, what in the world is going on? And he's very upset. And he comes to the Lord with these, these questions. And so that got me thinking about what would it look like if Habakkuk was, was in, the, in the world today? Like if he had had a, a chance to communicate his problems today, what would, what would a modern-day Habakkuk look like in complaints? And so I went back and did some studying, and we actually found, I, I missed this last week, we actually found a, a couple pieces of, of ancient history that shows some of actually what was happening during the day of Habakkuk in, in this place. So the first one is actually a text stream with Jeremiah. So if you want to go to it real quick, it says, this is Habakkuk. He says, dude, Jeremiah, is God saying anything to you? I don't think he is hearing us at all. L-O-L-A-Y-K-M. I don't even know what that means. Question mark, right? Hashtag prophet light sucks. Hashtag sucks to be me. And then Jeremiah is like, who is this? Who, who are you? And 
Habakkuk gets mad. It's, dude, it's Habakkuk. You still don't have my number saved in your phone? Really? Just pick your phone. And then, and then Jeremiah gives him some advice that many of us hear today, right? Oh, sorry, man, I've, I've been busy crying. It's tough. Question, have you considered another profession? Right, this is one of those ancient artifacts we felt. I also found a Facebook post for Habakkuk. I didn't know that this even existed back then, but, but if you look at the Facebook post right here, it says, oh Lord, how long shall, shall I go on to have to cry for help and you don't care? I keep telling you about all the violence and you don't listen. Why does this have to be happening in my lifetime? This is about 2,500 years ago. There's a few other Facebook posts that you can see on there as well. This is what complaining looks like for us today. See, in case you were wondering, that was not a text stream or Facebook post for Habakkuk. He did not, I don't even think that technology existed. I'm pretty sure it didn't, actually. But what we notice something, we see something profound in what Habakkuk does. And this is, the, this is what I want us to, to take away with this today, is that, is that when Habakkuk is complaining, he's going to God with his complaint. Many of us, when we, when we want to complain, we complain to one another. That's literally what kind of social media's purpose is, is to complain for what? For validation in our complaints. But Habakkuk doesn't on some Facebook post because it obviously wasn't there. We don't know what his response was elsewhere. But the only reason why we have this book is because God decided for us to have it because it is a conversation between Habakkuk and God. There's no one else in this conversation. There's no other partaker in this conversation. And Habakkuk goes to the Lord. See, we, we tend to do the opposite. We tend to complain to one another and rarely go to the Lord with our complaints. And so what I, I want you to hear this, please. You are allowed to complain to God. You are allowed to go to God with your complaint. Do so honestly. We are actually told everywhere in Scripture to not complain with one another. James 5, 9 says this. It says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Our judgment is based on the way that we interact with one another. Philippians 2, 14, I just says, it, it tells us to do everything without grumbling. And then it goes on a little bit. It says, so that you may be blameless, so you may be blameless and innocent. So our complaining can actually remove blamelessness from us. We're told all over Scripture to not complain. You know, the one thing that we're told to do with each other is to confess our sins to one another. We're told to confess to God too, but we are told never to complain. Do everything without grumbling. Dissatisfaction with our circumstances that presents itself as complaining undermines the peace and the joy and the patience and other fruits of the Spirit that we may experience, and it harms our witness as Christians to this world. So if you are complaining to the Facebook world or the social media world, or you're complaining to everyone, if someone asks you how you're doing, the first response is, I'm just complaining and I'm complaining and I'm complaining. Look, you're going about it all wrong. Our complaints are to go to God. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says it this way. It says, rejoice always. Now, if you do a word study on always, it actually means always. Pray without ceasing. It's interesting that rejoicing and prayer are tied together. It's going to be really hard to rejoice always when you're not praying. It says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. So how do we give thanks in this circumstance? When really what we're seeing is, is wickedness and frustration in front of us, the same thing that Habakkuk's seeing. And it goes on and says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God is to give thanks in all circumstances, in circumstances to rejoice always, to literally pray without ceasing. This is, this is the will of God. So we see in Scripture that we're not to complain, and then we see that we are to be giving thanks, and we're supposed to be content. With, that's a part of Philippians as well, is being content with what we have and where we're at. And we see over and over again in Scripture to rejoice in the Lord. So what do we do with complaints? Like, what, what do we do with complaining? What do, what do you and I do when we look at the world and we're like, we see the cur current, current situation? Do we, do we just 
ignore it? Do we just pretend like it's not there? What do we do? No, we do what Habakkuk does. We go to the Lord because here's what happens. When we complain to God, he changes our complaints into a bended knee of humility. When we complain to God, he brings us to a spot of praise and worship. Most of our prayer lives are anemic. This is what's so amazing about Habakkuk. We're basically getting his prayer life with the Lord. We're getting his conversation with the Lord. It's, it's, his, it's his journal that he did in his, in his own room. Many of us, we can't pray to God honestly. We'd rather complain to other people so that we can feel validated in our complaints. A little while ago, Priscilla was praying, and I think this is just kind of telling because many of us will do the same thing. So she's like, who wants to pray today? And so she decided she wanted to pray, and so she was praying for the meal. And so she's praying. She's five years old, and she's praying, and she's like, you know, thank you for this food, and thank you for this. And, and she, you know, she's kind of going through a thing and, you know, random stuff that five-year-olds pray for. And then she does this, and I just, I'll just never forget it. She's like, and thank you, Lord, that mom and dad are going to let us watch a movie after dinner. And then she kind of looks up at me, you know, like she's trying to manipulate me in prayer, right? It's like, wait, you just thank the Lord for something that I wasn't committed to. Like, wait, what's going on here? And I think that's how we come to the Lord. We come to the Lord like a five-year-old feeling like we need to manipulate his will. We need to doctor up our statements and sound holy enough so that we can go, man, I, I really want you to do something, God, but, but I need to figure out how to, to say it correctly. I need to figure out how to sell it to you. Instead of just coming to the Lord with an open heart of complaint, some of the things Habakkuk says are borderline offensive. The most offensive one he says is in his second answer to God's first answer, which he's asking is like, are you not of infinite ways? He's literally calling God's character into question. Guys, this is, this is a huge push on the Lord. Even Job does this, right? Job comes to it without sin. He complains. He, he, he frustrates. He's like, man, I don't get what's going on here. And at some point with Job and with Habakkuk and everyone else we know, at the end of the story, it ends with them bending knees before the Lord, prostrating themselves, saying, God, you are good. You are holy. I am small. We need to be honest with God. James 5.16 tells us about confessing our sins and how that we are actually healed in that. Acts 19 says that many were coming forward and confessing their sins and divulging their practices. So there is confession to one another, but our complaining goes to God. I was out on a conversation with a friend this week, and he said, so where, where, do, we, where do we see counsel then in this? And so it just gave me a, a, a quick second. If you just look at the Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 14, 19, 20, 26, 24, 6, and 12, 15, all talk about the value of seeking wise counsel and going to friends. But I don't think that's masked in this line of complaining. And my question would be, with any situation you're going to, if the first person you go to is someone you can see, you've missed the step of, of spending time with the Lord and asking Him. We're going to learn about waiting on the Lord. We're going to learn about that in this book. He talks about waiting on the Lord. Many of us are, are afraid to wait on the Lord. See, I think when, when you look at the scriptures, we see that God allows and even says it's okay for us to complain with him. You know, part of Israel's worship involved kind of passionate pleas to God, the, the, the laments psalms. We see a, a number of psalms in this way. I'm just going to, we've got a list. I think we have a side for you. Psalm 137 shows us uh, bringing our sorrow to God. Psalm 140 talks about bringing anger to God. Psalm 69 talks about bringing fear to God. Psalm 85 talks about bringing longing to God. Psalm 102 talks about bringing confusion to God. And Psalm 22 is desolation to God. And, and Psalm 51 is repentance. And Psalm 74 is disappointment. And Psalm 88 is depression. And we see that all of these things are to be brought to the Lord. And if you go through and read those psalms, you'll see what happens to the psalmist after they say it. They end in, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Because when we complain to God, he listens to us. He hears us. 
but he reminds us as we peer into the character of God that he is good in spite of what we see around us. He is faithful no matter how hard it gets in our life. Our suffering is is producing something. We are to suffer like Jesus. So as hard as it gets in this world, it just pushes us to go, God, come back, please, sooner. But when when we give ourselves this, when we turn to him, we recognize that we're humbled. Complain to man, when I complain on social media, I'm just looking for validation. I don't want to do anything with the complaints. I just want to be heard. When I go to the Lord, when you go to the Lord in honest prayer, you can't have it be a one-sided conversation like a social media post. He's going to respond to your heart. And no matter how hard you try to manipulate your conversation, he knows the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart. And he still went to the cross for you. If you aren't confessing your sins to one another, you're likely in a state of confessing other people's sins through complaining. And we, we, can't, we can't keep going this way. We need to be honest with the Lord. And this is what Habakkuk shows us. We need to be fully honest with the Lord. And here's uh, just a few things that happen when we're not honest with or others. The first thing is we can't fully grasp his, his grace or mercy. Think about it. If you're not honest with God about where you are, you're not going to know where to go. And secondly, in that, if we're not honest with other people, you're going to have to feel like you need to pretend or we're going to lose sight of the cross and recognizing that, that everything that we've done, no matter how horrible and hard it is, we don't need to come to God and say, well, let's just talk around it a little bit. Or I, I know I, did, I said I wouldn't do it last week, but I did it again this week. Like, no, we come to him because the cross has taken all the wrath of God and all the punishment of God for my sins on Jesus Christ. And I lie rest in his mercy and grace. If we're not honest with God, we're going to miss that. We're going to miss him. We're, gonna, we're not going to accept him loving us or other people loving us because we'll say like, yeah, they like me, but they don't really know me. So how can they truly love me? If they knew what, they, what I know about myself, they wouldn't love me. And we'll continue to, to distance ourselves from people. Second thing that happens when we're, we're not honest with God is we're forced to fake how good we're doing. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. We're forced to fake. It. And then we have to try and uphold that. We have to, we have to, it's exhausting to live a life where we, we continually pretend like everything's okay when we know it's not. Because we're afraid if we go to God with the question of going, how long, God, is this going to go on? And we seem ourselves frustrated that God can't in some way take that and turn that into worship. We need to be honest with God. Another thing that will happen in this situation is worship is impossible if you're not honest with God. It's impossible. You can't worship a God that you don't believe you can be honest with. You, you instantly, the instant you believe you, you, can't, you can't be fully honest with God makes him small, makes him smaller than he is, and that's not worth worshiping, and it makes you bigger than you are. When we understand our honesty, when we understand the depravity of our soul and the brokenness of our hearts and the disgustingness of our flesh, and we come to God with honesty in that, we say, God, this is who I am, and I don't want to be this. I want to be who you made me to be. I want to be who you're making me to be. I want to be the person that's walking in the gospel. When we come to God that way, we see how huge he is and how small we are and how worthy of worship he is. This is why every single one of those complainers, the psalmist, Habakkuk, Job, end in worshiping God. Because you can only sit in a complaint for so long before you start peering into the character of God and all you see is his goodness and his love and his grace over and over and over again. Habakkuk is saying some really hard things, some genuine things. This isn't just lip service. He isn't just, oh, I need to say this so that it can be recorded in the scriptures for you guys later on. This is his true feelings. He's wrestling. How long? How long does this have to go on? You know, we actually get a really good model for this in the New Testament. Some of you are like, well, this is the Old Testament. They're good. You know, the Psalms are all there. But we can't really, we can't really come to God with that kind of honesty in the New Testament because we know Jesus and, and we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to be just like him. And if we, we aren't just like him, then obviously we're a failure. And, and we kind of go through this motion. But Jesus actually models this beautifully for us. And so I wanted, I wanted to just go there real quickly. What does it look like for us to be honest with God, with our feelings and what we desire, but still 
submitted to him, still submitted to him and, pro- and, and, and humbled in front of him. Jesus says it's actually it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's right before he's about to be arrested. It's right before he's about to go to the cross. It's, we've, you've all heard the story. We went through it a bunch last April. And we're all, we're all in place, but he's, it's Luke 22, 42 through 44. Jesus is praying just a little bit further forward. And he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Now, this cup is the cup of God's wrath, the punishment for all of mine, yours, and the entire world's sin that Jesus is going to have to drink from, every last drop. He's saying, well, you, if, it's, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Now, we all read this and go, yeah, yeah, this is cool. Jesus, is, this is a, like a time of prayer. No, we should take huge, pay huge attention to what Jesus is doing here. First off, I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus is fully God. And Jesus put on flesh, but he still fully knew the plan that God had. He was not unaware of what needed to happen, was not unaware of the plan on how to redeem people. But Jesus, in that posture, in the garden, moments before he's going to hang on that cross and experience all of that wrath, he, in that moment, earnestly seeks the Lord and says, God, if there is another way, if there's another way, would you please let this cup pass for me? Can you, can you do this any other way? Then he goes on and says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to push very hard for you to believe that Jesus is in agony if his sweat is turning to blood and earnestly seeking the Lord. But so often we just read that and go, oh yeah, we've heard that story. But it it should cause us to pause. He knows the plan that God has for him. He knows God's will. He knows what what needs to accomplish. He knows what has to happen. This is why he was willing and submitted to God even to death on a cross like we see in the scriptures. He knew what was expected of him, yet he still went to his father and pleaded earnestly. Have you ever thought about that? This is Jesus. He's like, perfect man, fully God, and he's still pleading to God for another way, even though he was a part of the plan. He put the plan together, and yet he goes to God earnestly. And so when we read this, we read it like this. We read, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I believe there's a lot longer pause at that period. I believe there has to be, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, and a pause, a waiting. God, if there's any other way. Maybe there's tears on his face. Maybe the sweat, the blood is covering his eyes. He can't see it. He's getting, having a cross it there. Maybe he's on his face, and he's got dirt in his mouth. He's just sobbing. We don't know what his posture is, but either way, here's our God, our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, earnestly seeking God for something that he genuinely desires. So why then can't we as his children come to God with the same earnestness? Why, why can't we as his children come to the Lord and say, God, I don't get what you're doing. This sucks. I don't like this. It doesn't make sense. When I read your scripture, I see your character. I see how good you are. What I'm seeing is not good. Your righteousness seems to not be going forward. Your people are, are turning their backs on you. This should, this should bring about anger and frustration and all those things. Instead of complaining on Facebook, we should go to the Lord and say, God, do something about this because he's the only one that can. And Jesus says that. But Jesus models the second part of this prayer that's so powerful and so beautiful for us, a posture of submission to the Lord. See, Jesus goes to God because he knows God is the only one that can change it. He goes to God because he knows that God is the only one that could answer any prayer. He goes to God because he believes in the character of God, despite what he's about to experience. And I I promise you, none of us have experienced what Jesus has experienced, or will we ever. And he goes to God and says, I know what the plan is. I even know what your will is. I was a part of the creation of this. I I helped create the people that were literally beating me. But God, there's another way. But there's another way. Church, we, we we should be pushing 
into the Lord like Habakkuk does. We should be confessing our sins to one another. Let's stop complaining to one another. We should be complaining to the Lord and not in a complaining way where we, where we come at God and say, how dare you, and we impugn his righteousness and all this stuff. No, we complain to God saying, God, I don't get it. It doesn't add up. Help me understand it. Help me see it because I guarantee what happens when we come to God honestly. What happens is we end up submitted to him on our faces before him, worshiping him and rejoicing in the God of our salvation like Habakkuk does at the end of the book. We should always come to God confidently, faithfully, earnestly, Go to him with anything. He's not going to be like, wow, Bren, that was a really tough complaint. I can't handle it. No, he's not going to do that. I mean, he may correct me like he did Job. Remember, remember, right, he comes back. He's like, hey, where were you when? So at some point our complaining, we can still not sin in it, but our complaining can come to a point where he goes, okay, let me just remind you about who I am and what I've done and who you are and what you haven't done in comparison. We should always be coming to the Lord with a posture of humility, submitted to the will of the Father, not as an excuse for him to have an out. Like, like we don't ask God, like, God, we'd love for you to just change this, this COVID-19 thing, but if you don't, it's okay because we're afraid that his, his character somehow will fall apart if it doesn't happen the way that we ask. No, we should ask boldly, confidently, God, do away with it. We're done with an empty room. Bring us together. We believe you and you alone can do it. Not doctors, not medicine, not anything else. And if you want to do it through common grace, great, do it. But either way, we'll give you the glory because you're the one that can do it. And then we sit and we wait patiently. And whenever it happens, we give him the glory for doing it because it's him who does it. It's his will. We need a recognition, recognition that his will is better no matter what the circumstances are. His will is better no matter what your circumstances are. You, you have to sink this in. You have to understand this. This is what ultimately brings Habakkuk to his, his face before the Lord because his complaint, God answers him, which is a huge, cool thing. We'll talk about that more next week. But God's answer is literally not the answer that Habakkuk wants. It's like, well, well hold on a second. You're doing what? So then Habakkuk comes back and says, dude, that's even worse. How dare you? And then God says, don't worry, I'll deal with them. And Habakkuk doesn't get to see any, all that whole come to fruition. And he doesn't even get to see it come through. But his, he ends with, okay, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll rejoice. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk complains that wicked leaders are oppressing the righteous few within Judah. According to the formula God established, the wicked are supposed to suffer while the righteous prosper. We see that in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. But in Habakkuk's day, the formula has changed. And one scholar says it this way. He says, this is not an instance of the earthen vessel finding fault with the potter who made it, an attitude rebuked by Isaiah and Paul. It is to the one who answers back in unbelief that Paul says, who indeed are you to argue with God? Romans 9, 20. But there are others who answer back in faith. Their words, when they do so, are the expression of their loyalty to God. Some of Job's language about God seemed to, be, to his pious friends to be sheer blasphemy. But God himself appreciated it. We see that in, in Job 42. A succession of psalmists calling God to exert himself and act not so much for their deliverance as for the vindication of his own good name. When we come to God and say, this doesn't make sense, we're not, we're not asking for our comforts. We're asking for him to, to display his character that we know is true to be who he is. Even Christ on the cross, making the words of one of those psalmists his own, could cry out, why have you forsaken me? But when the man or woman of faith cries out like this, it is from a fundamental conviction that God is all righteous and well as well as all powerful. Yet it is not wrong to come to the Lord. I would encourage you to earnestly plead for God. If you have desires, some of them are desires that God is like, man, I, I cannot give that to you because if I give this to you, you wouldn't worship me anymore. Some of those are because he's going, no, 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 you, you don't understand. If I, if I answer this prayer right now, I won't be able to do what I plan on doing later on. Think of Joseph's life. If he'd answered Joseph's life about being wrongfully sold into slavery, think about how many thousands of people would go hungry. Even his family would not be saved and experience such grace like he extended to them. God is at work. He's outside our time plans. We need to be honest with God. Since prayer is provided 
specifically as the framework in which all the burdens of God's people may be poured out before the Lord, prayers expressing perplexity are appropriate as long as they are offered in a context of trust. So long as, as the mystery of sin is at work, God's people shall long earnestly for relief from its pain. As long as we're on this world, as long as we're in between before the resurrection, this is why we should be longing for the resurrection. When God does everything he said he would do and there is no more sin and there is no more anger and there's no more bickering, I can guarantee there's no more Facebook in the resurrection. It's just gonna go away, right? And, and there's gonna be none of that stuff. We'll be, we'll be together, worshiping him, walking with him. We should be longing for this. It's not wrong to express dissatisfaction with the fallen world and the yearning for God's redemption, but it is wrong to do so and a disrespectful attitude towards God or focus solely on selfish gain and comfort. If we're going to go to God, we can't just be going for our comfort. Our first and foremost priority should be, God, what will bring you the most glory? And if that means that my comfort is to be displaced for years, for you to be glorified, then God, please take it away. This is what it means to be a child of God. This is what it means to come to a God who cares about this. He says, hey, bring your sorrows, bring your depression, bring your desolation, bring all those things to me. I, I want to talk to you about it. We're going to learn a lot about prayer next week. What, the fact that God is actually hearing your prayers. You're not just speaking to a blank room or your dog in the room. He hears you. He cares about hearing from you. We're, we're to pray without ceasing, to never stop praying. We need to be honest with God, ourselves, and each other. We should confidently, faithfully ask because Jesus tells us to ask. And we know that the Lord is listening to his children. And we should be wholly submitted to God, God's will for our lives, and even in our asking. Let us be a people that desire God to do amazing things and desire to see the character that we know of God come into full fruition, not only in our own life, in the lives of our family, in the lives of the church, but in the lives of this entire nation and the entire world. God, we, we, should be, we should be asking for God's will to be done through the entire nation. But either way, in all our asking, we have to recognize, and this is just a little kind of spoiler alert to Habakkuk. Habakkuk doesn't get the answer he was looking for from God. He gets an answer, which is great but he doesn't get the answer he was looking. God basically says, hey, I'm gonna take care of my people with this horrible people. And then Habakkuk's like, well, why are these horrible people are worse than your people? How would you do that? And he's like, oh, no, no, I'll take care of them too. And Habakkuk turns and ends and goes, okay, well, I will worship you then. You're worthy of worshiping because you're at work and, I'm, and I don't understand your timeline and it doesn't make sense to me and it doesn't seem easy, but you're worthy of worship no matter what's going on in our lives pray for us, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Mother's Day. Father, we thank you for the ability to come to you, honestly. We thank you for the ability to worship you in spite of our circumstances, God. God, forgive us for, for complaining to other people and never coming to you. Forgive us for not confessing to others, God, like you have commanded of us to confess. Lord, we know that you are at work even when we can't see it because there are no circumstances that can change your character. So, Father, I pray we'd be a people that could be honest with you. I pray that we'd be a people that are so honest with you that we don't miss the cross and the grace that was received there. So honest with you that we can worship you wholeheartedly. So honest with you, God, that we would never, ever, ever lose sight of the fact that you are at work and your will is better than anything that we can think up, God. But God, I, I pray we would stop going through the motions in our prayer lives. I pray that we would stop pretending like we need to doctor up our words. And I just pray that we'd come to you authentically and really knowing not, not only that are we coming to you and you are not only hearing it, but you're listening to it, that your ear is attuned to your children and that you are looking at us, and you want to respond to us, and you will respond to us. And God, for those of us that, that have been complaining, even in our current circumstances, of just grumbling, just grumbling like your scripture says not to, God, I pray we'd be a people of genuine satisfaction and joy, a people that would continue to be uh, have a heart of thankfulness, 
even if all we can thank you for the moment is that we are righteous because of what you've done. God, that is enough to thank you for the rest of our lives, no matter what happens. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's Mother's Day, and we can, you guys can come on up here. We, we have always tried to do something for moms on Mother's Day and something for dads on Father's Day. Again, trying to be wise stewards of, of cost, but also just recognizing that this is a day that brings a lot of emotions. There are a lot of people that are celebrating. There's a lot of people that are saddened because there's people that wish they could be a mom or they've maybe lost a child, and that's just hard. And so we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you, moms. Actually, Brian, one of our pastors, is going to pray for you before we get into our, our last set of worship. And then the other thing, if you can see it on our Facebook page, or we emailed it out to the whole church from 8 to 12, there's a little gift of flowers and stuff that we're going to give to moms. Or if you just want to bless someone in your neighborhood that you know is, is having a hard time, come pick them up. We have safe, they're using masks and gloves. It's safe. It's going to be outside our building from 8 to 12. Uh, we'd love for everyone to come. Maybe you can come as a family and, and bless mom with that and, and pick her up some coffee or something. But this would be a great way to love from 8 to 12. Uh, come and get that gift. And Brian is going to be praying for us now. As Brian asked me to pray for moms today, I, my mind just went back to all those mothers that we hear about in Scripture. I just keep thinking about Sarah and Hagar, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel, Naomi keeps coming up in my study over these past couple weeks, just how she just poured in daughter-in-law, Ruth. Lord, as we stop to recognize moms today, we need to first continue to do a miracle in the lives of the women that Rev 22 desperately want to be moms, but aren't. Lord, we just hold them up that they would trust in the Lord this desire. We pray for moms that are afraid of failure. Lord, we ask you would help them fear nothing but you. Lord, I pray for the single women so desire to be a mom that aren't married yet. Lord, please don't let them settle, but hold relentlessly to you. Waiting. Lord, I pray for those awaiting the adoption of their son or daughter. Father, please bring their kids home swiftly and safely. Pray for moms that in the past have to lose their children up for adoption, that God would rest their hearts and show them your work in this entire world. Lord, we hold up both foster moms and stepmoms. Father, Give them the strength and the ability to make a lasting effect for your glory and the lives of the kids that you have put in their lives. Lord, I pray for those that maybe don't know or have never met their moms. Help them to know you better than any hole that they have. For moms out there that feel regret, have them look to you for the redemption in their futures. For the single moms out there, whether because they're widows or for any other reason, we pray for grace. Lord, would you fill in the gap that is felt when they're doing this on their own or they feel like they're doing it on their own. Please remind them they have a family in you. For those that have lost their moms, this can be a really hard day, but Holy Spirit, please comfort like you promised to. For moms, that aren't present in their homes. Help them to see the value of their role. 
I pray for the moms that have lost children in the womb or after birth. Father, please show them and comfort them that you're at work are sovereign even in this painful loss. Lord, we hold up expectant moms or new moms. Show them peace, knowing that it's through your strength you will hold them up through this. For those out there that have had or have abusive moms, Lord, we ask to restore that broken relationship. Moms that are empty nesters, we just ask that you help them trust you're leading on their kids' lives to this very day. Help them to have their identity so rooted in you they don't get lost in this season. Lord, we pray for the moms that don't have the support of their husbands in their home, either spiritually or just being present at home. Lord, would you please grab these men's hearts in a way that only you can. Lord, we hold up, especially at Rev, those spiritual moms to play the role of mother for so many here. Thank you for being obedient to the spirit and filling in the gap. We look to those moms that are struggling to honor the Lord obediently. Lord, work in their hearts. Help them to see that you are the redeemer. Hold up moms that have children that have walked away from relationships with them. Lord, do only what you can do store and reconcile those children. Moms who have either unbelieving children or kids with unbelieving moms, bring them all home. Lord, I hold up those mothers right now that are deployed around the world that haven't seen their kids for upwards of a year. Let them both know you're at work in both their hearts, that you will bring them back together, Lord. Heavenly Father, we plead with you that you would do what's best, that you would redeem those relationships. Heal, show up, remind each of these women that you are enough, that you are present in their lives. God would feel that your ever-present hand in their lives today. God, we thank you for being more than enough. We praise you for the work you are doing in the lives of each woman at Rev. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.